You're listening to the DCC Sermon Podcast. Let's join in for this week's message. Tell you what God can do. So then you say, well, people can't be cured of being crippled. God can't cure cripples. You see what I'm saying? So you're letting the natural tell you who God is. He loves us, sure, but can God really do all these things? And so we do this in philosophy. But what we really need to be doing is having God outside the box, who's too big to be put in your box, tell you about the box, right? So God, who is bigger than everything, who can do all things, who created the earth in seven days, he should be the one telling you about you and about your life. And God, I see this in the natural, but what is really going on? What's happening here? You know, but we allow our world to tell us about God. So that was kind of this introduction I had to this idea of God in a box. But lately, I've been hearing it kind of turn around in my spirit because I've been seeing people go through things, and I've been hearing people say things, and I just keep hearing their God is in a box. Their God's in a box. And um, so what do I mean by this? I think sometimes we draw boxes around God because we want God to make, to, it just makes it more comfortable to understand a God who has limits. Um, I think we draw boxes naturally. And uh, so like when you're young, you might draw a box and say that everything inside this box is good and everything outside this box is bad. And maybe you put things like your parents and you put politicians and religious leaders inside your good box because they're good. So everything they do is good. And then when you're, you're little, that's okay because you see things in very black and white. But as you get older, then you find out your, your parents had an affair. And so what do you do with this new piece of information that's not good? It doesn't fit in my good box. So how it was comfortable to believe that everything in this box was good It was comfortable to believe that the politician that I'm voting for is good and he's always going to make the right choice and he's always for these things. It's uncomfortable when you start seeing voting records and rhetoric and things like that. So it's it's one of those things that I think we draw boxes just naturally. But today I want to challenge our boxes. Um, We need to be asking ourselves, do I believe this way because it's what's true? or because it's what's comfortable. And I think that is really, I just want you to write that down if you're taking notes. Remember it, make it a sticky thing. Do I believe it because it's true or because it's what's comfortable? Because I think we need to be as mature people always stretching the boxes. Well, why do I think that? Is it because that's what my mom said? Is it because that's what the Bible says? Is it because that's what my grandmother said? You know, stretch your boxes. Today I want to confront some common boxes that we draw that will limit or even derail the work of God in our lives. Um, and I think I'm going to, I think we draw boxes, lots of boxes, but today we're going to look at three different boxes because everybody knows that a good, easy to understand message comes in points of three. So here we go. You might have a box, you might have God in a box if you find yourself at the bottom of Mount Sinai worshiping a golden calf. So, 
If you have your Bibles and you know where that's at, um, Exodus chapter 19, go there. This is kind of a long story, so there's lots of verses here. But we're starting in Exodus chapter 19. Okay, we're picking up. The Israelites have just left Egypt. They've come through the waters. They've been parted on both sides. They watched God do a miraculous work. So here we are. Um, Exodus 19, verse 1. On the first day of the third month after Israel left Egypt, on that very day they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. So they're at the bottom of Mount Sinai. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob. And what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt. And how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then you out of all nations will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So here's God's proposal, the proposal before the covenant, right? Hey, if you keep my commands, Israel, I already did all these things to rescue you. Now I want to be in covenant with you. And if you keep my commands and if you obey me fully, you will be for me a kingdom of priests, a royal nation. Okay. So they say, yes, that sounds like a great idea, God. Verse 10, it says, And the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today, and tomorrow have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day. Because on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, Be careful that you do not approach the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whatever touches the mountain is to be put to death. They are to be stoned or shot with arrows. Not a hand is to be laid on them. No person or animal shall be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast may they approach the mountain. It got real serious real fast. Right? God's like, okay, they agreed. Now I want to meet them. But I'm God, and you're human, and you're, you're born in sin. And sin can't be in the presence of God. And if sin enters the presence of God, it dies. You die. So there he's, God's like, they have to be consecrated. They have to be made holy or they cannot come in my presence. So then in verse 14, after Moses had gone down the mountain to the people, he consecrated them and washed their clothes. So Moses is following what God said. Then he said to the people, prepare yourselves for the third day, abstain from sexual relations. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning, and a thick cloud came over the mountain. So God is showing himself in power and majesty to the Israel people, to Israelite people. And a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it. 
In a, in a fire, the smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sounds of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. So the Israelites are at the bottom. They're witnessing this mind-blowing thing. They just watched God part a Red Sea. And it's easy to read this text and just go through it real fast. But if you don't stop and visualize what it is that they're seeing, you miss the power of this moment. God showed himself so mightily that they would be afraid not to follow Moses. Here is me. This is what I can do. I speak and the mountain trembles. They're watching all these natural phenomenons, and at the top of the mountain, they're hearing angels blow trumpets, right? And the trumpets mean that's my, that's my cue. I can go up, right? So they're in awe, and they're terrified at how powerful and how mighty God actually is. And so then it says in verse 20, no, I'm sorry, chapter 20, verse 18, we're going to continue with this, this story. God calls Moses up to the mountain. Moses goes up and God gives him the Ten Commandments. So then in verse 20, or chapter 20, verse 18, it says, When the people saw the thunder and the lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and, spoke, and smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. And Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you and keep you from sinning. If you want to know how to be kept from sinning, you need to get you a healthy dose of the fear of God. But that's what God was doing. He was trying to say, hey, this is how powerful I am. This is my covenant. This is what I'm proposing to you. You be my people and all this power and all this might will fight for you. That's, that's the covenant. That's the promise. That's what's been put in front of the people. And their response was, hey, God, you're a little too much. That's a little too much, God. I, I just don't know if, if I can do that. Moses, you go up and you talk to God, but I'm terrified. I'm going to stay right here at the foot of this mountain. And then, if that weren't enough, and then in Exodus 32, Moses goes up to the mountain. He's there for 40 days and 40 nights, which I thought was interesting. Because if you don't know, it took the earth. God, it took 40 days and 40 nights for God to cleanse the earth of wickedness in the flood. It takes 40 days and 40 nights for God to give Moses the laws that would restore the people, that would bring back righteousness, right? So that's just a fun tidbit. This doesn't really pertain to what I'm saying today. Exodus 32, verse 1. It says, when the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain. How ridiculous. <laughs> Moses, you've been up there too long. I just, two months ago, we saw you part a Red Sea. A month ago, we saw this whole mountain shake. But man, what did they say? I don't even know. We don't know what happened to that fellow Moses, which I thought was funny. <laughs> yeah, you're coming down from the mountain. They gathered around Aaron and said, come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, 
We don't even know what happened to him. Aaron answered them, take off the gold earrings that your wives and your sons and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. And he took what they handed him and he made it into an idol and cast it in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. And then he said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. And I've always heard this story growing up. And it's really easy to be in my 21st century mind and read about first century people. I don't, really, I don't know if it was first century, but I'm just throwing that out there. Sounds good. And them saying, hey, we just waited on God too long, so we're going to make a golden calf. That seems ridiculous to me. How fickle are you? How crazy can you not wait for God? You just saw this mountain shake, you know? And then also, he just told you not to make idols. Like, just. And you know, you know God feels like I do when I'm telling Cass not to do something. And, um, but anyways, so here they are. They make this calf. And then they say, Aaron says, this is the calf, the God who brought you up out of Egypt. And what the Holy Spirit has been showing me is it's a lot like they took a God that scared them. And they cut off all the pieces of God they didn't like. All the pieces of God that, that asked a little bit too much of them. That asked them to step out of their comfort zone. Asked them to be more than what they thought they could be. Asked them to give things up. And they shoved that God in a box. And out of that box came a calf. And they called that calf God. And if you don't catch that, don't miss that. Because how often do we take God... The things we like about God cut off everything we don't like about God. And we worship something that kind of looks like God, but ask nothing of us. We do that. We can relate to these people. It would be very silly of us in 21st century to look at them and go, I have nothing in common with you when we have absolutely everything in common with them. How often do preachers like Aaron think, well, it's better for you to worship God even if it's not, the, it's not all of God. How it's, you know, we want you to know that God loves everybody. God does love everybody. But the Bible also says that we will stand in judgment for the things that we do in our life. And if we don't tell them that, then we're setting them up for failure because when Moses came down from that mountain, God sent him down from that mountain and said, your people are losing their mind. Go get them. He goes down from that mountain and he says, anybody who's with God, come stand by me. And then the Levites rally to Moses and they have to kill every person who did not honor God. Don't let that be us. In 21st century America, in our culture. And it's silly to say, well, why did they make a calf and worship it? Well, they were used to worshiping gods you could see. That was their culture. Their culture in Egypt was that you would go to a temple and there would be a God that you could see and you would sit down. They didn't know what to do with this out-of-the-box God. He doesn't even live on earth. I can't see him. He's scary. He wants a whole lot from me. I don't think I can give that. So then what happens is we reshape God 
We put words in his mouth. We take words out of his mouth and we worship this new image of God who is not God, but we call it God. And we see that in our culture. We see it with um, the the LGBTQ stuff. Well, God made you a girl, but maybe on the inside I'm not a girl. Well, the Bible says that he made you perfect. That's it. That's what the Bible says. But, hey, it's uncomfortable to tell somebody that their belief system is wrong. It's uncomfortable to tell somebody that, hey, I understand that you love your boyfriend and that everyone in our culture thinks that premarital relations is okay. But the Bible says that it is not. And you have taken something that you're calling it God, and it is not. And so we're doing this in every aspect of our life. Well, it was just a little lie. And it's not that you don't mess up. Everybody messes up. It was that they did something evil and they called it good. That is the dangerous place to be. When we're in a place where we're doing something that is directly against the word of God, but we're saying that it's okay because everybody else is doing it. We're saying that it's okay because the Egyptians worship these gods. That's not what God wants from you. And that's what's so cool about the God that we serve is that he does live outside this box and it's an adventure when he pulls you out of this box. It's a little bit scary. It's a little bit scary, but there's so much power. It sets you free. So don't get stuck in the box. Um, Next, point two. You might have God in a box if Oh, nope, I'm on the same page. You might have got in a box if you just saw Jesus heal a paralyzed man for 30 years and you're mad at him because he picked up his mat. John 5, if you know where that's at, it's in John chapter 5. Verse 1. I'm going to read it. Sometime later... Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethsida, and which is surrounded by fire, five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years when he saw Jesus, when Jesus saw him lying, lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool. When the water is stirred while I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. So the Jew, the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But the man replied, the man who, t- who made me well said, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd 
that was there. We read that and think, wow, isn't that silly? Isn't that silly that they just watched somebody who had been crippled for 30 years and they completely missed the miracle because they were mad that he broke a rule? And here's where I go, man, their God is in a box. Their God is in a box of their own making. And here's the thing. What you need to know is that Jesus did not break a law of the Sabbath. He, he did not break a written law. He, the man, by picking up his mat, broke an oral tradition that had been handed down from man to man to man. What he did was he broke an interpretation a wrong interpretation of the law of God. And I thought, it's easy for us to sit in our 21st century churches and to think we would do it so much better than the Pharisees. We would really have this together. We would see these miracles that Jesus was doing, and we would be like, yeah, that's God. But how many people miss God because They can't get behind the way God healed somebody. Somebody found freedom at the front of the altar because they raised their hand. Oh, but we don't raise hands in churches. Somebody found freedom because somebody had a word from them that was from God and it spoke life. Well, God doesn't speak to us today. We have interpreted the law. And so many of us have allowed God to be boxed in because we're allowing man-made traditions to tell us how God moves. And the Bible says that God is doing a new thing. And I'm in our day, and our pastor's been saying this, and we've been seeing it in church, God is moving, and he is stirring, and he's offending our church. Our pastor says all the time, this is not church as usual. And it's for a reason. It's because we have to really look at What do we believe? Do I believe this because it's true or do I believe it because it's comfortable? Do I believe that women can't wear pants because it's true or because it's comfortable? And there are so many religious interpretations, and I'm not saying that we get all of them right, but I'm saying that you sitting in your chair shouldn't take my word for it. You shouldn't take that pastor's word for it. You need to go on your own and become a student of the scripture. And I can tell you this, I cannot stand up here and preach to you, even with a gift that, that lends itself to teaching the word of God, a natural gift that lends itself to teaching the word of God. I still can't get here without help from people who study the word of God by, by reading books, by studying um, anything. I'm saying, don't just read your Bible and think maybe that's enough. Sometimes you need help. Sometimes you need to go get a book that explains the Holy Spirit. I don't know. You, I'm just saying, make yourself a student of the scripture. It could be life and death for you. It could mean the difference between God in a box and God out of a box. And if you want to be stretched, Go to another country and see how they celebrate God. Because I did that. I, I spent two months in London, and there were so many things that I took with me to London that I didn't realize till I was sitting in their church in the middle of downtown London 
going, oh, I just thought that that was in the Bible and that was really just Bible Belt, Texas. That was just a tradition of my culture, where I was from, that believed that way. But really, that's not what the Bible says. And it's not heaven and hell stuff. I'm not saying that. I'm saying the little things. But don't miss God because you didn't like the way he moved in someone's life. And I have, I I think this has been stirring in my spirit because I just recently, I say recently, a year ago, took a job at a school. And so pretty much everyone I work with is a Christian. But we're all coming to God from different aspects. So we, like I'm non-denominational, somebody might be, Baptist, somebody else is Methodist. So we are all having all these things. And I have a friend who did something really awful, really awful in her life. And since then, God has done a miraculous work in her. And she has repented. And God has begun to show himself to her. And I told her, I see God all over you. But it kills me when people who can't get past the first thing, well, she did this. But it's, that's their God in a box. You should have never done that. I've grown up in this religion. I've grown up, I knew that was wrong. How come you didn't know that was wrong? It's hard for me to forgive you. It's hard for me to see God at work in your life because my God is in a box of man-made tradition. And so that's why I'm saying, don't miss God because you've got God in a box. Um, You might have God in a box if you just saw Jesus heal a... Oh, nope. And I also realized I skipped Hebrews chapter 12. Darn. I kind of want to go back and read that. (laughs) Okay. I'm turning this page if I can do that. All right. You might have God in a box if your definition of justice means that bad things don't happen to good people. And now now God has to tell you to be quiet. So that's in Job, chapter 38. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. No, that was part of the um, golden calf, the Hebrews one. So I may go back to that. But Job, chapter 38, is the new point, the last point we're going to make real quick. Okay, so Job, if you know the story of Job, I, I, I love it. Um, I know a lot of people don't like to read Job because it's uncomfortable. We're talking about getting God out of a box. So if we're getting God out of a box, maybe we should read those uncomfortable verses in the Bible. Um, it's hard to read Job and to know that he was so good and he did so many good things and still God allowed him to go through so many hard things. But... For the end of this book, I love this verse because it has meant something tremendous in my own life. Um, so Job, his kids die. His, his wife doesn't die. His kids die. His livestock dies. He completely loses his livelihood. And then on top of all of those things, he, he comes down with sores, and now his health is failing. So it's just one bad thing after another more than you can even imagine, Job was at the bottom. Okay, so then Job spends the next few chapters basically going, 
They're trying to figure out why this is happening. His friends are like, well, you must have done something wrong because God is a good God and he only does bad to people who deserve it. So you obviously deserve it. And Job's like, I don't deserve it. I didn't do anything. I've, I've served God. I've loved God. I've honored God. I didn't do anything to deserve this. And then the people, or Job then decides, God, you must not be a very just God. So he's praying to God and he's telling God, and this is where you go, God can handle your harsh words. As long as you're speaking them to God and not behind his back. When you go to God and say, God, I don't understand this. I'm wrestling with this. I don't understand why this is happening to me. Does this mean that you're not a just God? Does this mean that you're not really for me? That you're not as good as you've once said that you are? God can handle that. Take, take God your this is really hard God. Um, so God lets Job talk for a long time. And then Job, God says to Job in Job 38 verse 1, The Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man because I have some questions for you and you must answer them. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me, if you know how much, if you know so much, who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying line? What supports its foundations and who laid its cornerstones? as the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy, who kept the sea inside its boundaries as it burst from the womb and, it, and, it, and as I clothed it with clouds and wrapped it in thick darkness. For I locked it behind barred gates, limiting its shores. I said, this far you can come and no further will you come. Here your proud waves stop. And God goes on putting Job in his place for the next several chapters. And I love that because I've been in the pity party that Job had. I didn't have, you know, quite so many troubles as Job did. But, I mean, I have been in that place of my husband just decided he didn't want to marry me. Any, he didn't want to be married to me anymore. And, God, how come this is happening I prayed before we got married. I asked you, is this what you want? I, God, you know how important it was for me to not have divorce be in my legacy. You knew that, God. How come I'm here? How come I'm doing this? I tried to do this the right way. And it was like God said, Taylor, hush. Do you not know how big I am? Do you not know that I laid the foundation of the earth, that I told the waters how far they could come, that they could come this far and no further? And it was a moment for me. It was a, revela it was a revelatory moment for me because I went, wow, God, you are so much bigger than the box I just put you in because the box I put you in said that if I do this this way, then this won't happen. If I do this this way, then this won't happen. If I take my kids to church, they'll never be hurt. If I take my kids to church, they'll never leave you. If I do this this way, this won't happen. If I'm a good wife, my husband won't leave me. But God said, hey, I'm bigger than that. I see you. 
It's not for you to judge the earth. It's not for you to, to determine justice. Do you want to sit on the judgment seat? Do you want to tell people? Do you want to dish out judgments for people? You, you don't see like I see. You can't know what I know. And it's one of those things where when you allow God to be out of your box, then you know that no matter what he's got me, that no matter how crazy things get inside this box, the God of the universe can tell me how to feel about this right now. The God of the universe can tell me, calm down, Taylor, I've got you. And I can rest in that because he's not in my box with me. So I just wanted to, to give you that as a you might have got in a box if you're questioning everything that's happening in your life right now, which we've all been there. But the Bible says that God works good out of anything that comes your way if you give it to him. That is a promise of God that he will work good for you. And I've seen that promise fulfilled in my own life. And I know that if you hold tight to that promise, that you will see it fulfilled in your life. I do want to go back because I did miss Hebrews, and I feel like it's important. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18. I'm going to read it in a different version, so I've got to find it in my Bible. One second. Okay, now this is Paul, so this is a New Testament, but we're talking about the, the mountain scene that we talked about earlier. Paul says, you have not come to a physical mountain, to a place of flaming fire, darkness, gloom, and whirlwind, as the Israelites did at Mount Sinai. For they heard an awesome trumpet blast and a terrible voice so terrible that they begged God to stop speaking. They staggered back under God's command. Even if an animal touches this mountain, it must be stoned to death. Moses himself was so frightened at the sight that he said, I am terrified and trembling. So that's the mountain they came to. But Paul said, we didn't come to that mountain. This is the mountain. This is the promise. This is the question that's put before you, that's put before I. This is the call Will you answer it? No, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to countless thousands of angels and a joyful gathering. You have come to the assembly of God's firstborn children, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God himself, who is the judge over all things. You have come to the spirit of righteousness, of the righteous ones in heaven, who have now been made perfect. You have come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people, and to sprinkle the blood which speaks of forgiveness instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel. Be careful that you do not refuse to listen to the one who is speaking. So here's your warning. That was your invitation. Come up to the mountain and meet with God. And here's the deal. We can either refuse that invitation and stay down and worship something that we call God, but that isn't God, or we can accept that invitation. But if we refuse, be careful that you do not refuse to listen to the one who is speaking. 
For if the people of Israel did not escape when they refused to listen to Moses, the earthly messenger, we will certainly not escape if we reject the one who speaks to us from heaven. When God spoke from Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth. But now he makes another promise. Once again, I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens also. This means that all of creation will be shaken and removed so that only unshakable things will remain. Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. For our God is a devouring fire. So that's our warning. That's our invitation. And every person who lives has to answer that. We, we each have that choice. Am I going to go up on the mountain? Kobe tells the guys in his life all the time, and it's kind of funny. He'll, when they come to him with a problem, he'll say, you're just circling the mountain. And that's what he means by that. You're circling the mountain of God. You're flirting with having a relationship with God, but you're unwilling to leave things behind to reach the top. I'm unwilling to leave behind this thing or that thing or this thought process or that thought process, this belief or that belief so that I can go up on the mountaintop and meet with God. So what, that's the question for you. You don't have to answer it to me, but what will you do? Will you go up? Will you stay down? Colossians the last verse and then we're going to close so you guys can stand up Colossians 2 chapter 8 or chapter 2 verse 8 sorry It says, don't let anyone capture you. This is the boxes. We're talking about boxes. What makes up a box? Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking, from the spiritual powers of this world, rather than from Christ. I'm going to read that in the NIV because I liked it better. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. So I just want to leave you guys with that. Ask yourself that question. Do I believe this because this was a tradition that was passed down to me? Or do I believe it because it's true? It's okay to ask God that. You may say, I believe this because it was a tradition and that tradition supports truth. That may be where you land. But maybe sometimes God's saying, hey, I just need you to to clear that box because I want to do something here. And I can't move in your life because this box. You got something, Jack? So, you know, I'm sitting back there thinking, like, what good is a seed if it's in your pocket? You know, like, for something to grow, something has to die. It's going to require me to bury it in the ground. If you're looking at a piece of raw land, it's not been cleared. There might be something that God has intended to be built there, 
But if you're not willing to go and clear that, if there's not some things you're not willing to cut down, you know, God will take the same things that you cut down, you cut those trees down, that's lumber. You build what's supposed to be there. God will take what you remove from a place to actually be the foundation that builds something there. And so if you're just carrying seed in your pocket, if you're just looking at raw land, not doing nothing with it, there's something God's calling you to do. There's something God wants to grow in your life. There's something God wants to build with you. But if you're not willing to bury that seed, if you're not willing to cut some stuff down, he, you can't do anything. A seed won't turn into anything if it's in your pocket. So, yeah, like there's stuff we got to get rid of. There's stuff we got to, all right. Anyway, all right, Father, we praise you and we thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for this time together in your presence, Lord Jesus. We thank you for this word, Lord. I pray that it not fall on infertile ground, Lord, but that's something, that there be fruit from it, Father, that it be something we take away this week, that we chew on, that we think about, Father. I pray that your Holy Spirit guide us through it, reveal to us the things that we need to cut down in our lives, the, the things that we need to bury, the, the seed we need to sow, Lord Jesus. And we praise you and we thank you, Father, for everything you've done, that you're doing and you're going to do, Lord. And in Jesus' name, amen. All right.